If you have followed geek pop culture at all over the past week, you know what we're talking about today. Welcome to Panelism, the show about the comics and graphic novels worth having on your shelf, and sometimes the large conventions that are about these comic books. I'm Todd A. I'm Taylor Trask, and you're back, sir. You're back from the you're back from the great beyond, known as San Diego Comic Con. I am back, and uh, surprising you with a longer intro than you knew was coming. So yeah, yeah. Up to and my old tricks. Sorry. Well. For another year in a row, I have not gone to SDCC, so yeah. I will be jealously uh, quizzing and questioning you and and uh, trying to live through your eyes uh, this episode as much as possible. Yeah, I've done a... Um, it's always weird on that, because we're recording this the day I got back, so I really haven't had that like processing time yet, but, you know, so that's good and bad in, in different ways. Um but uh, there's definitely discussion this year of like, you know, or, you know, is everybody like all our friends going to do four days next year? What's, you know, mm. like mm. Uh, like endurance wise and what you take away from it and stuff. But overall, like my sort of like, um, you know, quick review of it was I had a great time and it was great con and I feel very satisfied with it. Like I don't leave with any regrets or anything. I think there's a lot. um in that first day, it is so insane that you kind of end the first day and go, oh, my God, I don't know if I can do this another year. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now, when you say insane, do you mean in terms of the sheer amount of stuff coming at you or just yeah, you, the, I think the, the uh, hypocrisy or what's the, the tyranny of choice, all of that? Yeah, exa- oh, exactly. The um, It's also, I think it's just environmentally, you're, it's a, it's a mm. different craziness like maybe if you lived in a very big city where you were on the streets all the time like every day um in crowds it wouldn't be that much of a change but i would say for most of us that's closer quarters than we're used to and you just sort of get down there and it's hot outside and there's lines for everything and you know it just puts you in this different headspace you can't think uh i need to go to the bathroom and just go to a bathroom it's like mm. it's like I'd better go to the bathroom because I'm going to have to wait in a line in the bathroom and then I'm going to have to meet my friends like so far away and I'm going to have to run through a crowd to get there. And it just yeah, it just pushes and pulls your brain in so many directions that I think you were just exhausted, like just wiped out kind of on that first day. And um, I, you know, I think you roll with it. I, at least I roll with it a little bit better the next two days. But I can tell you, like Friday, I felt more tired like just physically and then saturday kind of felt like okay i'm i'm you know reestablishing myself thursday mm-hmm. um i i had my fitbit on and thursday we did about seven miles walking um mm. uh and i'm going back so friday was about six and then uh uh close to seven saturday so um mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's a lot more walking than I normally do, yeah, especially when it's like 
in a concentrated eight hours sort of thing. Well, anybody anybody who listened to your survival guide episode, which we republished last week, will I think be aware of all this stuff. And one of the shocking things that that I learned then, and then re-listening to that episode, uh, re- remembered is so much of this does take place outside. I think you kind of think, oh, once I'm in there, I'm, I'm in the convention center. I'm in a I'm in a hermetically sealed submarine with a bunch of people. Um, but no, you're you've spent a good chunk of time outside, if, if not most of it. I think is that not is that fair? Uh, I would say most of your time is inside. Um, oh, it is. Okay. It, yeah, definitely. forget everything I just said. <laughs> it's just, uh, but you're right. You're not. It's like you're not counting on the times that you're going to be outside. So mm-hmm. this year we attended or tried to attend, or some of us attended uh, more events at the Marriott than we ever have. Which is, uh, that's right. there are these two hotels, there are actually three, there's like a, a Hyatt, a Hilton, and a Marriott, and the um, Marriott is sort of, kind of, sort of connected to the convention center, um, but it, uh, but that, but what that results in is that, like, you're, you know, walking inside for most of the way there, then you have to get outside for a short period, and it's just like a, it's a crazy, crazy crowd that you don't have at Hilton. On the other side, like at Hilton, you have to line up outside for certain panels. So you're just standing out in the heat, you know, for two hours. Yeah. Um, I didn't do any panels there. Um, but uh, so the problem with the Marriott is like it takes so much longer because you were in a crowd trying to get there the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so one of those panels, uh, my friend Chris and I um, got there sort of like kind of sort of on time. Um, you know, definitely at the last minute, like we didn't, we weren't there early and mm-hmm. it was in a very small room, which we did not know. It was in a room we, we didn't like, was not where the normal panels were, where we'd attended. So which we panel had, was it? Uh, it was about, um, creating a board game and I can't remember what it was. Oh, so, fun. so we did not get in because oh, shoot. by the time we found the room and got there, it was packed and closed. Um, and it, it turned out it was in the, you know, but it's just that thing of like, you got to, you know, you got to count. You can't count on like where the crowds are going to be. And like if you're going outside to try to shortcut something or whatever. So it's just whew, it's uh, it's it, you can't count on, on like what chaos or not you're going to have. So it's, uh, you know, making it from a <clears throat> doing a, a one to two panel and then a three to four panel virtually impossible unless they are down the hall from each other. So it really is like visiting Disney World. You have yeah. to figure out which rides you're going to go to at which times and which things you're going to sacrifice and you know, kind of just you know, make peace with the fact that you're not going to see everything you want to see. That is a great parallel because when I go to Disneyland, I um, often think uh, – I used to have sort of a rule in my head of, well, if I get to do – four rides it was a good day or something you know because <laughs> like if they're four good rides or what i can't remember what the number was but it was always like you know you're gonna have an hour at each one and you know you're gonna have to eat and there's gonna be bathroom breaks and whatever so i think if you can do two panels in a day that's probably great <laughs> but um if you do more than that i don't think you can be on the exhibit floor like at all um, now do you now remind listeners and myself like when you go do you prefer the exhibit floor to different panels and breakout sessions or do you like a good mix of both I, I like a mix because um, I, it, it you know it, it's easy to, to be jaded and say 
like you're at the image booth and you're like, you know what? I can get all of these books in my local comic book shop. It would be better for me to do that. And like, the, I think those are good instincts, even though they're always going to have like some, spe- you know, they're going to have some like pre-release stuff and they're going to have like a, you know, a, a special on buying multiple volumes or something like that. Or, they'll, or, or it's good to buy one if you're going to a signing or whatever. But there's always despite that sort of jaded, like I can just get these on Amazon sort of feeling or in a (laughs) local shop. um, There's always going to be stuff that like you don't know about that you like, you know? And so being on the exhibit floor um, while I, I don't know. I mean, it just, it it just provides a a ton of stuff. It's like, I bought freaking more RPG dice, which I definitely (laughs) did not need. Um, and could have ordered online, but the, you know the the guys right there, and they made, it's a dice company that's in San Diego, and it was like, uh, yeah, they're right here. They were just released. Why not get them? I didn't even know these existed, so let me get them. Um, well, that happens even at smaller cons too. I, mean, exactly. I went to a little, a, a tiny little one here in Colorado Springs last winter, and you know, it, very it, it had blizzarded, so it was very very slow but just even the floor space and i would say the floor space here was probably maybe a tenth the size of san diego comic-con and that might be generous but i still found toys and like old he-man stuff that i'd never even heard of that i'm like i need this and then i was like wait i've just spent 50 dollars. what am i doing (laughs) and then and then you you don't that would be the most kind of stressful aspect to me is just knowing what to buy when knowing that it may be gone when you come back around again, you may not make it back to that side of the convention at some point in time. Um, well, I guess uh, yeah. in that regard, how do you, how do you shop at Comic-Con? Oh like, my how God. Do you, what do you, what, what are you, I mean, do you go wanting specific things? Do you, do you go just it's, letting the magic of the event take you, take you wherever it goes? Uh, I, I go with the magic. Um, I, I kind of just, uh, it's always like, I want to get something specific to the event for myself. I, I used to want that specific thing always to be art. Um, but what I've realized is that I just have a shelf full of art. I don't have walls full of art because if I, mm. I it's not like I have a lot of art up, but if I put any more up on my walls, it's, it's going to look ridiculous. Um, yeah. but, uh, so I want something like specific to the con that's like souvenir. So even if I buy dice okay. that were a good deal, you know, and like right in front of me and it's you know it's good that I was there and I saw them in person and went oh yeah I want that um I that doesn't count because I could have gotten that online you know so I got like a limited edition set of of uh just like pens like enamel pens you know um oh got it and yeah, and yeah. just because I was like uh, you know really strictly budgeting myself um but usually I go in with like I gotta get something for my niece and nephew and then if I end up getting a freebie, which is what happened this year, I got two freebies that I knew were perfect for the niece, like swag kind of stuff. And so it was like, okay, well now I got to balance that out with, you know, <laughs> what I get for the nephew. So I got to go buy a couple things for him to sort of um, send them, uh, you know, an, an equal amount of stuff. Um, but that's kind of how I go in. But your example of like not, you know, not knowing something's there and then and then realizing it's an exclusive or a pre-release or something is perfect and that very thing happened to uh, to my friend Chris, where he was, you know, went in with this mindset of like, I can't get anything big today because I don't have like a bag or something to carry it. I think this was on the very first day and went to the Star Wars like gaming uh, uh, booth. And he plays this game called Star Wars Armada. And they had this like new ship for it. 
and they told him like, well, I don't know how many, I, I think they told him they didn't know how many they were going, were going to have at the con, but it wouldn't be out until, you know, weeks later or something like it wasn't going to be available mm-hmm. for a while. Um, and so he knows he paid a little bit more for it because he probably could have gotten it from Amazon or a game shop or something with a little discount. Uh, but the very next day when he went back and, and, you know, was talking to the person at the game booth, they said, oh, yeah, we only had 15 of those. So, like, they're gone, you know. Mm. And mm. <laughs> so in the moment, he didn't really have the perfect information to make that choice. But, you, you know, um, so he ends up lugging this giant game box around with us for the rest of the day. Uh, so, oh, and, so let me ask you about, well, let me ask you about that. So how does he, I mean, how, how, how aggravating is that to, you know, for, to him and to you guys? Is it constantly, uh, we have to like find places to sit where this thing can go. Did he get really tired of it? Did he regret that decision at the end of the day? Uh, I, he, no, I definitely, I, I don't think so. Um, it, it, I must've been on Thursday because he had his San Diego backpack, billboard bag you know um yeah and that actually held up for him and so he was able to put it in some sort of bag with a strap but it is a pain not just not for weight like weight is a, is one thing but i think it's like you're walking down these aisles and there's people behind you and you're constantly like they're bumping into the package on your back or you're bumping into them and feeling rude or you know all of a sudden you're you, you take up like the space of like two people in an aisle mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was frustrating. And then afterwards we were like walking downtown to a restaurant and he had to, you know, like carry this giant bag with him and stuff, but, um, certainly not the worst, like, uh, like (laughs) bag situation that any of my friends had, but, um, just an unexpected thing. Like, Oh great. Now that I've found this early in the day, it's going to be with me until we get home. Um, so that's, that's weird. I know here's a, I'm glad you followed up on that. Uh, that pain point because it, it fits into stuff we talked about in the preview and the survival guide. Um, and in that, I talked about those bags that they give you and it is great. Like I got, we all got ours on the first day and, and just stuffed them into the backpack. You know, he ended up using his, uh, I, uh, held on to mine, took it home that night and thought, you know, this is what I'm going to use to pack up everything at the end of con and take it back. And then it's like, I can be sure it kind of lays flat, you know, in my car whatever. And put that stuff, loaded my stuff up this morning, um, carried it downstairs at Chris's house. Uh, Chris carried it out to my car when I was going out there and the strap broke. (laughs) (laughs) That was as far as it lasted. So if I had put, and this was not even like, I didn't even have a big game box or something. You know, I had a few books and a poster tube and that was it. If I had, you know, done that at the con, I would have been so (laughs) aggravated um, and, and, and I watched this happen to several of my friends, like where a bag tore or something. And then the thing that was in it spilled onto the ground, you know, and, and their book got dented or their, or their box got a little scratch on it or something. And it's like, oh, that's so, that's so aggravating, you know? Um, so yeah. And I mean, if there, are, I, I know in the, in the moment when I was on the floor, I thought, oh, this is a great tip for next year. Uh, and right now, uh, post-con processing, I can't think of any of those things. So we'll have to f- <laughs> follow up on them in a few months or next year so that I can be, be sure that we update our survival guide appropriately. Well, while it's fresh, I want to kind of cover the high points and the low points, yeah. if there are any, but specifically the high points. I guess, what panels did you attend that you really liked or what news coming out of the con did you yeah. think was interesting? Yeah, um, I, I loved all the panels I did. So Thursday, um, I went to I, it, it worked out perfectly, did like a whole morning on the floor, kind of got the lay of the land. 
um, you know, saw everything that I wanted to see. Uh, and then I believe it was that morning went to like, I think it was around 11 or something. We, we pretty much everyone that I was at con with went to an image panel, which was about um, horror comics in particular. Um, and so that was the one I texted you from because it was just like unbelievable. It was Jeff Lemire and Kieran Gillen and um, the author of Infidel, whose name we were unsure of how to pronounce on our episode about that uh, porn mm-hmm. sack. Um, <laughs> Pinche Shote. Um, uh, uh, I, 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 now, this, I'm so sorry that I, I've forgotten his ethnicity, but he's either Thai or, or Filipino. Um, uh, I believe Thai. And just a bunch of like, so it's all image like writers, artists uh, talking about the horror genre in their comics. And it was great. Like it was, it was really fun. The, I can't speak more specifically about it because I then saw Kieran Gillen <laughs> in a panel the next day about writing the rules of magic. And I have like, both of those panels have merged into my mind. <laughs> so, um, mm. you know, but there was apropos for Kieran Gillen because you know, oh, boy. he's working on, he's working on die right now. Which yeah. is, um, are you, know, you everybody's, are you reading that by the way? Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. No, okay. I, and our and our friend Drew has has mentioned a few times he doesn't like the art. I love the art. I think oh, Die yeah. is, I think Die is taking all the lessons that Kieran Gillen sort of figured out in Wiktiv, and it's yeah. it's stretching it out even further. Some of that world building, and specifically because it's about um, our you know RPG based gaming anyway, kind of gives you a framework to work from. But I love yeah. how they're incorporating that. Did did uh, he speak to Die at all, or did he speak oh, yeah. to Wiktiv at all in either panel? Yeah, Dai, <clears throat> Dai was the was the big thing that he was talking about for sure. Um, so that, like I said, I got kind of I've, I've I've melded those two panels in my mind because this other panel I saw him on was not image specific, but it was authors talking about the rules of magic in their world, and uh, you know there were just there were more great examples from that one of like how you. Uh, you know, how you, you as the author have to establish that in order that everything doesn't just sort of, you know, get magically resolved from some outside mm-hmm. power. And mm-hmm. it was really neat because it, it touched on one of those things where, you know, you and I, um, I think had some friends tease us about how many times we said deus ex machina in a podcast. <laughs> Be- but I think that's exactly what it's speaking to is like if the rules of magic have sort of been established and then all of a sudden something happens that doesn't fit those rules in a, in a magic story, you know, then you're, you're, you're just as thrown off as if the story hadn't been magic and it just been like reality based or something, you know, it's like the rules are kind of important. And he talked about, um, you know, Wick Div in the terms of like how it was really clearly established, like, uh, you know, with the, um, the period of years that, that the, the gods were reborn and how long they were going to live once they were reborn. And he talked about how he then set about tearing down those rules. And it was like every mm-hmm. issue or every book was, was about like sort of, um, you know, disestablishing those rules. And, and well, especially later on, like yeah. he's had a lot of fun that that team has had a lot of fun in the last two volumes. And as they've, as they get closer and closer to the end, which I think is next month or September, yeah. maybe the last, last issue, they've gone out of their way now to take, and they did this really cool thing, kind of minor spoilers, but they do this cool thing where they reference the very first scene in the very first issue um, in a very meaningful way, like that scene comes back around again in a way that just completely validates all of the character development. It really 
logs into what the actual point of the story is, where we're, uh, how it's going to end. It was just interesting to see him like lay that groundwork and then kind of just let it sit there and then bring it back in a very intentional way. Yeah. I just I can't say enough about what they've done with, yeah. with Wickdiv. And it, it's so crazy, also just side note, to hear him speak about it and say, and in the past tense, when I was writing Wicked and Divine. Because uh, they're done. He's done. Because he's done. They're, they're, they're just, all done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're just uh, waiting for the publishing dates to, to hit. Exactly. So, I, and you know what, um, as you're saying that, I remember that one of the one of the difficulties in like sort of uh, differentiating these panels in my mind was that uh, this is such a weird uh, persnickety thing, but the audio in the first one was terrible. And for some reason, the way the moderator was addressing that particular panel. So I don't know if this was like, it's just weird that all the panelists did this, but almost all of them would turn their heads to talk to the moderator rather than Mm -hmm. just speaking forwards into the microphone in front of them. So like the, Oh weird. The volume was already low. They, you know, they probably didn't know that they're just, you know, used to turning yeah, their heads good, in other that's panels. That's a good moderator's moderator's job is to basically like get everybody the lowdown on how to talk and where to look and exactly and all that. And that's it, interesting. Kieran Gillen has a, a very thick accent, and so there were times where I just could not tell anything he was talking about. But there were great Mexican it, accent, of course. Yeah, and in the <laughs> in the horror um, panel, there were just there were great uh, uh, um, conversations about like um, you know. Like if you can't rely on jump scares and music and like sound cues in a horror comic, how do you make it scary? And like, what is it about it that's going to make it scary? And um, I I thought that just really fed into the rules of magic thing, because at least what I took away with it from it, um, not being a reader of die is that he Kieran has definitely applied those sort of rules to die to figure out how to make this creepy you know, it, when it's not a movie, you know, it's not yeah. a thing that he can have a sound cue or a door slam or anything like that. So I, I think a couple of, uh, of my friends went and picked up die. Um, so that's definitely a book we should cover At, whenever you're on, ready for it. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll be ready. They just, they just hit volume one, two of the trade. Oh, okay. Um, so that's, yeah, they're, they're progressing on. Did, um, you know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned the, the how do you create horror without the soundtrack and stuff. And God, Infidel uh, is a book yeah. that certainly like I heard a soundtrack. I heard all of that extra stuff in my mind based on the the art and then the shot, like kind of the shots and the way they the cinematography of it, like really kind of create created that environment where sometimes you didn't need you know a, you know music or a score, and sometimes you did, and you could kind of fill in the blanks effortlessly. Yeah. I think the best books do that. We talked about uh, Infidel quite a bit on a, on a Halloween podcast last year. So yeah, check and, that one out if you're interested. And yeah, and uh, um, Pinche Show talked a lot about, uh, oh, well, it was very cool. They introduced that, like they asked him about, um, this is a haunted house novel. And I hadn't really put it in that context, although I, I kind of think you did say that during our episode. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, thinking about it in the moment of seeing him and uh, identifying him as the author of uh, Infidel. Um, so when they said that, it was like, oh, it all clicked. You know, that was all the things you were talking about. And I guess what clicked was that's so interesting because that's a genre we don't, you know, to a great extent, we don't see that in movies. So if you're going to do a horror in a comic book, a haunted house is almost like a really cool way to do it because it's it's yeah. almost like you mentioned with Die where it's like, almost like an RPG campaign or something, you know, escape this house. Like (laughs) here it is, here are the rules, you know? Um, Anyway, that was very cool. And the only other um, panel I saw on Thursday 
uh, was, I, I can't remember the full name, but it was like gnomes, gunslingers, and something. And it was uh, <laughs> a, about... All, all things that go together naturally, of course. Yeah, it was gnomes about like... Ta- I always think about in the same context. <laughs> it was about tabletop RPGs. And um, it was really fun. It was run by uh, a, a, the uh, host of a... I'm totally not sure it's because it's crazy. It was like I've never seen a panel run like this where the host was sort of advertising all his other stuff throughout, like the PowerPoint that was just, you know, randomly flipping through slides had had his name everywhere. So I remember super geeked up and they do a live like geeky improv show and they do it at cons and I guess they perform elsewhere. That's great. But I don't I don't also know if there was like a podcast or (laughs) You know, like a video or a Twitch stream or whatever. I, I didn't really pick up on that. Um, Sounds but, like you and I should be should be moderating some of these panels. <laughs> given, <laughs> I would, yeah. Given pan- the, uh, ooh, call it pan, pan- panelism. The panelists, whatever. Um, something. But, but real quick, let me ask you this because as I as I'm looking through pictures of this year's event, yeah, I've always wondered this in general. But I think SDCC is a really good environment to really test this theory. Have they have they ever tried, or do you think it would be beneficial? for the publishers to instead be out on the general floor with whatever booth they create to instead create like the, the boom studios experience. So all the boom panels, the store, um, the create, like the, the artist row for boom is all in one location image. Same Ooh. thing. Your image store, um, your image panels, everything is right there. Would that just be too chaotic or too hard to wrap? Yeah. I, I think it's one of those things of like, um, it seems to be like traffic on the freeway. Like you can only have so many rules because it's going to have to self-organize at some point. So Uh. it was really interesting when you're at the image booth. um, I love this as a jumping off point because the thing you might not think about is like there aren't image panels going on all day. So when you go to the image booth, there are only like five, you know, Mm. for the whole weekend. And okay. it, it, we did that Thursday. So it was very easy to like, plus we looked in, on the app, you know, before we even got the guidebooks, like we'd already marked what we wanted to see on the app. But you, we went to the booth and I see the schedule there and it's very easy to go, you know, I want to go to that one and I want to go to that one. But it also, because like the Kieran, Kieran was on that rules of magic thing, which was not an image panel. So um, oh, got it. in okay. that case, you know, it was... Uh, I wouldn't have seen everything I wanted to if I were sort of, I can see if you had like the image, you know, room that it might be tempting to just sort of sit there for four hours, but then you're going to miss out on something else because you don't know that like your favorite creator is actually, you know, sort of <laughs> breaking away from the brand that he's most associated with or something yeah. like that. But I'm mean, um, thinking like if, if image had their own room, like you could see those panels and like, Oh, Oh, who's this? It's why it's uh, you know, what a uh, uh, legendary, I can't think of one right now. Like Karen yeah. Gillen's here doing a signing or like, um, yeah. Um, you know, any, any of those image creators that are pretty, pretty hardcore with image or any of those, uh, I mean, like any, even like a top cow, I mean, does top cow have their own booth or are they yeah, part they do. of the image? Exp- it's they huge. Do? Okay. Um, and and so, I, so one thing that, that is, splits it a little bit. so they, they do an interesting thing, which is like a lot of times the big publishers and even, I mean, even small press does this, it's just not as announced, but the big publishers will have signings at their booth. So on that image schedule, there's like a separate schedule, which is like these artists will be at the image booth. So it's very easy to just pick up their latest book and then like, you know, wait in line to get them to sign it at, at a particular time. So they are doing that to some extent. Like, it's just not separated from the main floor. Um, but I, when then one of the things that was cool this year, which I, I haven't experienced much, or at least I haven't taken advantage of, was so like the RPG panel was made up of, of you know, real variety of like 
you know, people that were like the, the guy that runs the RPG meetup in San Diego was there. And, um, a woman who, uh, does like a podcast, or I think it's a video podcast about RPGs was there. And another woman who runs another, um, gaming group, um, was there. So, you know, it's like offline and online people, hosts and players, you know, game masters and, um, and comedians, and they were all there. And then that whole panel went like announced to the room we're going to go play these games right now. Oh, that's so if cool. you want to, wow. if you want to play them, let's meet in the hallway. Like we have to give up this room, but we're going to meet in this hallway and then we will guide you down to the game room where we're playing them all. And they each went through, like each one of them was being a game master of a particular RPG. And so they told you about that RPG. So what, you know, on one, like, so it wasn't all Dungeons and Dragons. It wasn't all like, you know, Pathfinder or Starfinder or something really big. They were all these like really niche RPGs. Um, and they, they had all sorts of great experience. And so whenever you see that Gnomes and Gunslingers panel, because apparently they do it every year, uh, but it may be at other cons too, I would say go check it out if you're at all interested in RPGs. It was like a really friendly way to get into it and sort of see a lot of aspects of it. Um, but by the time that panel let out, it was like 4 p.m. We go back to the exhibit floor, walk around for a bit, and it's like 5 p.m. They're going to be closing up in an hour or so. And we're you know we're like, well what are we doing tonight? Like what's, what's the dinner situation? Where are we, uh, what else are we going to pick up? Cause you know, you're coming back. So, um, mm-hmm. then Friday, um, I did two panels. One was that rules of magic that, um, I've, I've mentioned enough, uh, which was also very cool. Cause it had like TV writers and, uh, comic book writers together and like novel writer. And so it was, it was just a great perspective on like, uh, uh, all of their work and, and some pretty good guide guidance for um, authors in the crowd, but it wasn't a real deep dive into it. You know, it was a panel. It wasn't like, um, like you might see at a, I can't even think of like a coding convention where they're actually like getting you into like, here's how we're going to code this. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't instructional in that way. It was like, let's sort of bounce from, along this uh, really varied uh, row of panelists and you take away what you can from them all. So, um, I, you know, I, I, I loved experiencing it and the audio was definitely much better. I heard everything versus the horror panel. Um, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to give that sort of overview of like, that's more what it was like. Like, don't, you know, it, I love going to those things, but, but um uh, it, it also makes it like if you are, you know, trying to break into comics or something like that, it's not like you're going to get that specific information you want, like from any one of these panels. You're, you're still going to just have to take from it what you what you can. Um, and a perfect example of that is I also went to uh, a, 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 one of my two favorite panels of the convention or at least probably my favorite panel panel. And then I'll talk a little bit about the other one, which was the man eaters panel for the comic man eaters um, by Chelsea Kane. And uh, you and I have mentioned this before because this creative team, uh, Chelsea Kane and Kate Niemschick and um, uh, Rochelle, I'm sorry, I forget her last name. uh, They were all on the mockingbird comic at Marvel and which was sort of received like an outsized, uh, you know, loaf of criticism from a, a specific group of people that did not like its politics and, you know, had like kind of ignominious, um, ending. Um, and it ended and Chelsea told the whole story about how she started thinking about this 
uh, this comic and like what to do after that and how she wanted to keep working with that team and how she called the team up and said, you know, or emailed them and said, would you be interested in working on something for image? And so this panel was just great. Uh, unfortunately, Kate Niemczyk wasn't there, but the rest of the creative team, oh, and actually their letterer wasn't there either, um, but the rest of the team was there, and they had no moderator, so Chelsea just moderated it herself, so they told the whole origin story of the comic, gave a oh, really cool. good overview of how they all worked together, um, and uh, it was just like, it's phenomenal. And that comic I am going to talk about in a separate episode uh, very soon. And I will talk to you more about that panel when we talk about the comic, but I'll just say that like one of the most surprising to me, because I, I knew a lot of this backstory. Like I had read Mockingbird before man eaters came out. So I put it on my pull list, like as soon as it was announced and you know, like I've been pulling the single issues and, and I, I like, I only recently kind of read everything together and just got behind this book and went, this is, you know, rules. I did not know this three of the creative team of, so there's like eight women on the creative team. There's one man, but three of those women are 14 year old girls. What? It is Chelsea's daughter. Um, who's a writer. Uh, and I guess, um, Chelsea had gone to her and, and talked to her about like, oh, I want kind of like a poem from a 13-year-old girl that's kind of angsty and it's about this. And so her daughter would write it for her. And then when they and then she, you know, meets one of her other friends and she knew she was an artist and was always sketching stuff and said, let me see your sketches. And then there was this other friend who um, her daughter had told her had all these awesome haikus about a dead samurai and got a bee on her uh, English project and Chelsea was like let me see those haikus and then she started she put those in the book and then hired her to write more haikus and wow. so it, there That's was this cool. great story of like I mean it just touched on everything it's like the um, the book which we'll talk about in depth it, it, uh, has to do with girls that age and so Chelsea at once like recognized like I need girls that age to inform me about what they're going through and she had already seen yeah. it like with her daughter so she already sort of knew that world but she brought in the voices to do it and it was just like so spectacular and then this was another of those panels where they said hey when this ends we are all going over to this pavilion and sitting at this table and autographing stuff so just come follow us so I like I did that. I haven't done that before because usually I've when I've been in panels and stuff, they have really I and mean, they did have a set autograph time after the panel. But I usually I've seen those people who are, um, you know, at such a level that the you know, you don't if you don't have it like if you're not already in line for the autograph, you're not going to get in line. So I yeah. went to this autograph signing right after this. They gave us all like little cat ear headbands Um they gave us a uh, suggestions for the patriarchy slip that we can, you know, could fill out and, and drop in their suggestion box or take it with us. Um, and they all signed a poster. Um, the, the, uh, yeah, Kate Niemczyk, the penciler was not there, but, um, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I forget her last name, but Stella, who's the 14 year old who does a lot of the illustrations, drew a little drawing on it. And you know, it was just very cool. And like, you have this moment of like, I got, I got to walk down and tell Rochelle, like I loved Mockingbird and um, I tell Leah, like I, uh, I loved her graphic design in this book and they are ending it at issue 12. And I mm. hope, and I'm, I'm, you know, pretty sure image will do this, but I hope they just release it as one collected volume. Cause right now there's God, I hope so too. That, you yeah. know, more and more image has titles and we've talked about them before where that's, 
it's it's necessary. I think yeah. was it, infidel infidel was itself a, a totally complete work. A standalone, think, yeah, yeah. It standalone, was, yeah. And it's image needs to do more of that, and especially because so many of their pieces. You know, are are really good, but you can only enjoy them in the context of an entire volume. Yeah. I I always come back to two titles. They're they're not like us, and um, Nowhere Men, which coincidentally were written by the actual you know editor in chief of Image, and yeah. yet they had to stop them because the single issues weren't selling well. Because many people, myself included, yeah. love to read. You have it's such a it's such a story that you have to read it in one sitting. Yeah, I I, just, I don't know why they're so opposed to that. Well, and I, 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 you know, I bet it's sales driven. I would, I doubt they're opposed to anything mm-hmm. that makes sense in that way because I, they did at the booth have, you know, Saga continues to put out the giant hardback books. Um, I, I, what was the other new? Yeah, but those are, but that's already happened, right? Like Saga's oh, already true. like spent the time. I'm talking about like, hey, I have a, a vision for a story. It should just be a, a one volume oh, right, right, thing right. and not have to come out and set, you know, five separate issues over six months. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about those stories because I, because 12 is a weird number to end on because the image um, trades and the way image does their arcs is usually five issues. So yeah. trades one and two of man eaters only cover 10 issues. So that means there's only two outstanding issues, which would be kind of foolish to put in a separate paperback trade. Yeah. So yeah. It just seems logical that, like, after those two are released, they're going to put all of them together in an omnibus. And I don't, you know, and so I'd like to know the conversation behind that. Like, did the team think that they would keep going after 12? Did they decide that 12, like, once they got into it, that 12 was where to end? Because hearing um, uh, Pinche Show talk the day before, or I guess it was, uh, yeah, the day before, he, it sounds like his next project is a standalone again. So I think nice. I think creators with those and, you know, maybe it has to do with the following or like how many they're going to print or what. Who knows? Like it would be great to know those nuts and bolts, but at least he seems able to pitch sort of graphic novels versus ongoing series. And so, yeah, I would, yeah. I'd like to know how that happens. Um, man, eaters, I, I will just because talk- we well. Oh, go ahead. We've got another. We've got another example, which is drawn in quarterly, which only deals in collected, yeah, you know, exactly. single volumes of stuff. So it's interesting that Image wouldn't allow, you know, either create a subdivision or at least uh, proportionally publish things. Yeah, because they could have. They could have everything. They could have. Hey, we have these really great single issue series that are going on and on and on, a la Walking Dead, a la Saga. We also do these really great, like start to finish uh, pieces. That yeah. Maybe you know, maybe there's three volumes that come out over the course of. You know, five years, but each one is a, is a single drop. Yeah. Um, Drawn and Quarterly just made a great a great deal of that. Let me ask you this though, because I want to I want to transition a little bit. Does, yeah, yeah. Did Drawn and Quarterly have a booth? Did oh you yeah, see? I, yeah. They have a huge. What, what booth. was? What's that like? Is it just like a Drawn and Quarterly store? It's like a bookstore. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's that's, um, that's where I would just fall off the fall off into the ocean and like literally be carrying around like a giant box of stuff. Well, right. I th- that's actually like. Um, it probably hurts them at a con like San Diego because their books are so beautiful, but they are all hardcover and heavy. Yeah. <laughs> and yep. they do have some paperbacks. Uh, I did not actually buy Why anything buy a at the booth. Paperback from John and Cordell. I know. God. I did. I was going to say I didn't buy anything because the one I had my eye on, they only had as a paperback. And then they had yeah, another yeah. that I that uh, a Tom Gold book that um, was signed, but he wasn't there to sign it. And I was kind of like, you know what, like. The price of me getting this is that I walk around with it all day when I can just mm-hmm. how much does like these the non-personalized signature matter to me? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, I that um, I'll touch on all the man eater stuff in another one. Um, 
in another podcast episode. Uh, the l- last thing I did on Friday um, was I demoed this game called Tiny Towns that was really fun. And that's a part of Comic-Con that we rarely talk about, which is this whole mezzanine level is dedicated to gaming, like board gaming, mm. tabletop gaming. And so there's a big, huge demo room where you can just walk in and sit down at a table and demo a game with someone who will teach you all the rules and you're actually like playing the game. Um, and first of all, it's a great way to cool off and sit down for an hour. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'm sure. And, and secondly, like it's just interesting to, you know, to find these new games and that's a whole, you know, creative endeavor that is that rarely associated with Comic-Con, but is definitely there. And I think the reason it's not associated is because it's a little bit invisible. It's like there's a, f- a floor on the, like the exhibit floors on the, on the bottom floor and the, um, meeting rooms are on the top floor and no one thinks about this mezzanine level in between, like except to get from one to the other. Um, so it's a little overlooked, but it's, uh, that was fun. And then, um, Saturday, my, so, uh, you know, in a tie for my second panel, favorite panel was, I went to this one called the fundamentals of storytelling, um, which had a really diverse group of authors. All I can assume is that they were, they are all, uh, like uh, somehow associated with the same publishing, which literally just jumped out of my head. I cannot think of it. Um, But I was so pleased to learn that there was going to be a panel with Sarah Anderson, whose comics um, are called Sarah Scribbles on Instagram. And I reviewed her book, Adulthood is a Myth on episode number 58. Um, And you can find her at Sarah Anderson Comics, Anderson with an E. Um, she was on this panel. So was Whitney Gardner, whose novel mm. Cha- Chaotic Good I reviewed in episode number 84. And you can find her at Hey Whitney Writes. Um, and so was Mr. Thomas Lennon, whom you probably know as Lieutenant Jim Dangle from Reno 911. Um, oh, interesting. Wow. He has written a YA novel, which sounds amazing, um, about a Irish uh, teenager, teenage boy, uh, who's an intern with the police. Uh, and it's a very narrow boy. And he learns that he can slip through this like a narrow, uh, entrance, um, in this particular castle and, uh, finds out where the leprechauns live. And then it's this great, <laughs> then the police invite him to join their like anti leprechaun, um, magic unit. And, so it has all these like so on one hand it's like full I, of this all YA novel. I want to see this as a TV. I want to see oh this my as God. a web short. Well, it's a series. It's, there's going to be three novels apparently. Um, yeah, but I want to read it. I want to see it. Like that oh, seems like it's so much more oriented towards made uh, physical it. comedy. Yeah, uh, for sure. I, it's almost too absurd, but it has a lot of real Irish myth um, as well as like his sort of humorous takes on all of it. And so it was like, you know, fun fact: Thomas Lennon sat in my lap and sang a song. Um, at a comedy bang Wait, bang, what <laughs> comedy bang bang performance a few years ago? I have never heard this story. You need to explain. This <laughs> no, is, you can't just drop. No, that we'll just we'll just away. drop that. I I no, I would no. love to explain it if I had had a chance to explain it to him. I went up afterwards, oh, okay. and unfortunately, um, he had to run. But this panel too was one of those great ones where they said, "Hey, everybody, follow us to the autograph table." Um, so uh, I picked up Sarah Anderson's new book. So. Adulthood is a myth, if you remember, and she's got several of these Sarah Scribbles collections, is is like a intentionally primitive comic strip, mm-hmm. like very Instagram friendly. They're funny. They're sort of from her real life. And um, 
you know, in a, in a, like sort of a, a pessimistic, you know, 20 something who's like, you know, just has problems with her hair or problems with her cat or like, you know, um, like, you know, it shows off her geek side too much around her friends or whatever. But her new book is a collaboration with Andy Weir, who wrote the freaking Martian. <laughs> yeah, what the heck? So that seems he like wrote like a, like a YA novel comic book sort of script, I guess. Um, oh, my God. They all flipped out of my head, too. But it's Dorothy, Wendy and Alice. Um, who are all sentenced um, or taken to live in like a girl's home to be like, you know, remediated. Wow. <laughs> but they have, but they still have their actual magic powers. And so, you know, trouble ensues. Wait, Dorothy from, the, from Oz, yes. Wendy from Peter Pan and Alice, obviously from Alice in Wonderland. Yes. Are they, is it one of those things where it's like, Hey, you got, no one believes that they went through these fantastical things. Right. Or is that. They're, they're crazy okay. women. that are, Which is are, very, which I love home. because. Um, the, there was a, there was a string of that in the original L Frank Baum books, not deliberately, but so, enough where the movie Return to Oz, which stars Veruza Bulk, uh, late eighties movie when one of my favorite eighties <laughs> kids movies, that movie really starts with, Hey, Aunt M and uncle Henry don't believe Dorothy. She won't stop talking about this. We're going to take her into town to get electroshock therapy because she's crazy. Wow. And uh, th- I mean, that's, that's how that movie begins. I've always thought that was an interesting premise to play out even further. And I'm happy to see it. I mean, with Andy Weir, that's woof. It's amazing. That's... So I don't think it was, uh, she didn't talk too much about it, but it, what I gathered was it doesn't sound like she knew him and they collaborated on this. It sounds more like oh, okay. he had this idea and wanted um, you know, a, a younger illustrator to do it. And uh, so, and, you know, her, her company, like her publishing company, I guess, said, suggested her and she got to work on it. So that is called Cheshire Crossing. But, uh, you know, so I went to the autograph signing. I had Whitney's new graphic novel, which is called Fake Blood, which she wrote and illustrated um, and got both of them to, uh, you know, sign. So I will talk about both of those on later episodes. Uh, after Maneaters, I've got my work cut out for me for the next month or so. Um, but that was definitely like, that was a favorite panel just in the sense of like, you know, first of all, I, afterwards I introduced myself to Whitney and, and she was just lovely. And, um, you know, like remembered our podcast, uh, and was even like, yeah, it was like coffee and comics or something. So, Oh, that's uh, <laughs> cool. She remembers us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just, you know, great to, uh, to meet her in person and, and have that connection. And, you know, I, I had no idea that these, three people would be on this one panel. Um, so that was just such a like delight to, to find that. And after that, I had that, that feeling that I've had at many comic cons where I was like, that's it. I don't need anything else today. You know, like I had another panel on my list and it kind of came down to, do I go to their autograph signing or do I run to meet this other panel and who is on that panel, but Kieran Gillen. And I was like, I've already seen that guy twice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it would have, I'm sure it would have been a fascinating panel, but I thought I, this is the better experience. And so I just got in line and, and, you know, for the autographs and did that. Um, and afterwards, you know, went downstairs and went, these are the two things that I, I got to get uh, for my nephew. Um, one of those, I wanted to get him something from the mouse guard creator. And when I went to his table, he was standing right there. So I got to have a little chat with David Peterson 
and tell was him. He, now, did you did you ask him about the uh, the now aborted movie? And how I did not. I did not. That? I just it was it was about how I loved his work and had only recently gotten into it. But I was so you know thankful that he's you know got so much of it for me to absorb. Um, he has a couple of like kids books which he has written that happen in the world of Mouse Guard, um, mm. and he's gotten an illustrator who who uh, stays very much within his style, but it's, you know, that at least allows him to, to move a little bit quicker. Um, and, and I heard him explain to someone else who was in front of me um, about this, uh, this other comic book that I've been curious about, The Legends of the Guard, which is written by other people, but sort of stays in the world, you know. Um, and, and, you know, and he has two board games out. There's a Mouse Guard RPG that's in its second edition. And then there is like this other sort of chess game. And they were both there and it was like that classic conundrum of uh chris and i looked at this rpg and went i want this uh i would be great to have him sign this it is so beautifully done but then i gotta lug this really heavy box around for the rest of the day um sure you know so but anyway that you know i saw this panel just felt like that was all the great experience that i wanted ran downstairs uh grabbed the last couple of things like gifts on my list (laughs) and uh was able to just sort of enjoy the the last couple hours of con and and think this is, you know, this is perfect. Um, now, you didn't do any Hall H panels, but there did was not. a pretty big one this year involving Marvel, which I think last year didn't really even have a presence. Because, I, yeah, I don't think they were uh, at Hall H last year. I mean, that makes sense, too, because um, Infinity War had just happened. You know, half the Marvel Universe was dead. Yeah. There really wasn't much for them to say. Yeah, they weren't going to so spoil year they, anything, you know. Yeah, no, this year, man, they just kind of dropped everything. Uh, yeah, they released the next five movies in phase four and then um, got a lot more in detail on the five sort of starting TV show. Yeah. Uh, sorry, just f- five series on the Disney plus subscription service. Um, I'll, I'll just tell you what, what was interesting to me. Actually, there were six yeah. series because it's blade a series or a movie blades. A I series, believe I it's believe. a series with Mahershala Ali. Yeah. Which makes total sense. But the ones that really st- uh, stuck out to me are, um, <sighs> uh, we'll go in reverse order. Thor Love and Thunder, um, <laughs> which once again sees Taika Waititi return, which is the exact right move. Um, but more interestingly, they this would have been something I would have kept secret, so I'm surprised they, they decided to, to let it out. But Natalie Portman is back as Jane Foster, and she's going to be Lady Thor, or just Thor, if you want to go that route. Like, she's yeah. she's going to do – they're going to go down that road. No, no idea if she's going to have cancer or anything like that. That would be interesting if they went that route with it, but – what, does that does that shock you? Surprise you? Or I mean, you're a big Lady Thor fan. We, so I, well, how do you, how do you feel about all this? Uh, you know, as I like to uh, to um, denominate them, she is Thor and he is Boy Thor. Um, okay. But <laughs> uh, um, I so there was just this great moment because of course you don't hear that news while you're at the con because you're, you're too busy doing other stuff. So even when I was seeing stuff come into like a, you know, notifications, I'm like just swiping it away unless it's a friend telling me where they are. Um, so we go home last night and we're all seeing the Marvel news as it's delivered through like blogs and tweets and stuff individually. And mm-hmm. we hear somehow heard about the female Thor before we knew it was, um, actually Natalie Portman. And so we had the time to have a short discussion of like, what if it were Natalie Portman? What if they did the, you know, the, the uh, female Thor story? Um, so I had that whole moment of, of being able to be like, Oh, I'd so hope it's Natalie Portman. And they do that. Um, 
because our other nomination, which would have been fantastic, but uh, would have probably gone a different way, would to be have Valkyrie pick up the hammer. Um, oh, but uh, I and and I think um, you know the the quorum of people who were discussing this last night were mostly in agreement that going the dark route with Natalie Portman and doing the cancer story would be really amazing for Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's hard to hope that they do something that dark, but it, it would just tricky with Taika Waititi running things. I mean, not that he can't do it, but just, it's interesting to see yeah. if, if that's, if he, if, if he pulls it off and if he, you yeah. know, he balances the humor and the, and the, the dark side. Well, other- I mean, I, you know, I think like a hunt for the wilder people is like that really in that, in that that's it's true. in, it's in his wheelhouse. There is a sad, funny movie, you know? Um, yeah. I wasn't clear. And maybe you can clarify this is Jane Foster, going to pick up the hammer in love and thunder yes okay. oh that's it, it yeah no 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 that was revealed she even came out natalie portman came out holding the hammer that's like gotcha. no, no she's gonna be thor too just nice. like in the comics so they're they're going they're going that way the other it, the other movie that really jumped out at me because i had never i didn't even know it was gonna be a movie was shang chi and the yes. legend of the ten rings yeah which is just like apparently they cast the guy literally last week um, wow. And, you know, the, the main guy. And more interesting to, for me, this is finally where they're going to debut the real actual Mandarin. Not the um, not right, the dude, right. not, not Ben Kingsley from the Iron Man 3, which I freaking love, by the way. I love that twist because you just can't – in a movie about high technology, it's really hard to introduce a, a mystical – it, you know, Asian figure with 10 magical rings that it just, it, it would have gotten in the way. So to see them bring it in this way is interesting. I wonder if they're going to acknowledge the events of Iron Man three in any way oh. or not, or yeah. how does this work? I just, I didn't even know this is a thing they were pursuing. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh no, that's a movie. Here it comes. Yeah. That was interesting. Um, the other, all the other movies you know, we've talked about here and there. Yeah. The Doctor Strange horror movie is also interesting. Well, I would say uh, um, one of the other standouts for me was was learning that they were going to do What If as an animated series. Yes, I was just about to talk about that. That That's fascinating because, A, they can bring back Robert Downey Jr. to voice Iron Man or Tony Stark if they wanted to. He doesn't yeah. have to appear. Um, and they, so they can do all these crazy things, get continuity from their actors, but then also not have to spend $800 million to do recreations of movies we've already seen. Well, or, and as I understand, they announced like this will not be in continuity. So, well, no, cause it's all, it's all multiverse. Like, yeah. Hey, you know, th- this could have happened. This could have happened. And, um, and it, and, uh, so it basically, they are just stating like, we are going to tell all the stories we want to in a crazy, like animated way. <laughs> Do you think I mean this is this is fascinating I've I've mentioned before that the use of Disney Plus to expand on the the, the MCU was a really good thing. Like we're going to get to see the, the Falcon and Winter Soldier series and the WandaVision, which I you know, if they can make WandaVision anything like that amazing Vision graphic novel we've we've you know just talked about. I mean, end. for me if they just make it like Endgame, you know, like just the the little glimpse we got at Wanda and Vision and that, like yeah, that, I liked that. Yeah. The I, you know what what flipped my decision on Disney Plus is that I, uh, at least I what I th- understand to be true is that they announced their price is under eight dollars. So for now, yeah, it's either six ninety nine or seven ninety nine, and I I went now that makes sense to me. You know, another like fifteen dollar a month service 
is is just too much, you know. Like I feel like I mean, it's going to be fifteen before it's done, though. I mean, this is well, this true. is introductory pricing. I mean, it, it's introductory pricing, but a hell of a deal. Just with all, even if it was just this new stuff, all you know, the Mandalorian, all these kinds of things. Yeah, that might be interesting. But it's everything in the Disney Vault. Uh, yeah. Not at first, they're going to slow roll it in. But oh, they are every. Yeah, they're not going. It's not just going to be every movie right out of the gate. They're going to slowly oh, add. Never to the mind. <laughs> Yeah, which I don't quite understand the the rationale behind that. Like, why not just maybe to highlight, uh, you know, make it seem like new things are coming every month. There, you know, there might be. Some yeah, yeah, that, because but. otherwise you just subscribe when you want to catch up on everything and then you unsubscribe. Yeah, is, so that makes sense. What I hope they don't do is put things back in the vault. Like, no, no, no. Yeah. If Lady and the Tramp is on the Disney Plus thing, it stays there forever as long as Disney Plus is a thing. You don't yeah. take it away and bring it back again. This isn't the home video days, for uh, God's sake. Uh, yeah, it's exactly. I, I, yeah, I am anyway. uh, but I'm yeah. also interested, though. Like, the Hawkeye series is apparently going to take place when he was Ronan. Um, the uh, Blade series, I had no idea was even coming. Uh, so just the idea that they can take take these characters now that we've spent you know eight to ten years with and give them continuations in their story arcs but on the on the in a serialized format where it's maybe less less big budget they can take more time like i'm really super it was the the tv side of it i was more interested in in the the movie side i'm sure the movie side will be fun and interesting and i'll probably go to a couple of those but it's the t it's the serialized stuff that i'm really interested in yeah and we're getting ever closer to i've always dreamed about the day where uh uh a uh, creative company can, from the inception, uh, launch a multimedia property where it's books, comics, movies, TV, podcasts, whatever it is, all from the get-go, and they all touch a different medium and they all connect together. I think we're going to get close. I mean, this is this is one more step to that where I would even imagine – like uh, you know, if they wanted to do Miles Morales, they could launch the Miles Morales TV show, yeah. and then the first mile, like the first Spider-Man movie with Miles Morales, might be, um, you know, after three seasons of the show, hey, here's the movie, and then they'll go back, they'll go back to the show again, and maybe there's this run of comics that complements that or fills in the the, the gaps. Yeah. Um, there's it, we're so close to that being the case, and they've sort of just very carefully laid the bridge work well, to it, and I don't know, it makes me it, real quick, it just makes me more sort of disappointed that DC can't do that. Um, largely because Warner Brothers is going to take away the DC Universe app soon and just <laughs> launch some other... Yeah. They're launching like HBO Plus or whatever the hell they're putting Max. on HBO. And, Max. Oh, Christ. I mean, just everything that Warner Brothers is doing with their streaming makes no sense. And here Marvel is crafting the perfect beast, you know, and they're still at it. And it's, it's still just going to keep growing. Yeah. I, I, you know, uh, one more surprising thing from Marvel is the announcement of a Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, but we knew that. I mean, they just said, oh, it's coming. There was no details released. Well, date. right. I mean, but I mean, there's like, we're going to do it. There's not an exact release date, but it's on the timeline now. Yeah. So yeah. there was no, there wasn't a logo for it or anything. They're just like, hey, we're it's coming to that and Captain Marvel 2 and Black Panther 2 and Guardians yeah. 3. Like all those movies were the least interesting. Like I I'm glad they, I'm glad we didn't see a bunch of logos for sequels up there. Like everything they talked about with the exception of Doctor Strange is new. Um, well, and Thor, sorry. Th- yeah. Thor and Doctor Strange were 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 new, uh, sequels, but then Black Widow, Eternals, Shang-Chi. Yeah. The Eternals, I mean, I The Eternals is just going to be like this big question mark until it actually comes out cuz I have no idea like what that could even entail. Is it going to be just totally yeah. trippy? Is it going to be grand storytelling on like an epic level? Like I, I don't know. Yeah. I, Who knows? I just a quick, um, you know, uh, hitting some lightning points. Um, 
Uh, the, I thought the Picard trailer was wonderful. You and I were talking about it before. Um, so we have a different take on it because you have kept up with the Star Trek universe and know where Picard's story, where we last left off. I didn't. So sort of just see, to me, it was more about seeing Patrick Stewart coming back into that role and how do they tell a new story with that? And I was like, Hey, I can get behind this. Not that I'll watch it, but it, you know, I thought the trailer was great. Um, and then the Watchmen trailer, I <laughs> had very similar feelings. That. Where, is there a different? Is there a new Watchmen trailer? I didn't yeah. know they, they put a new one out. I'm gonna have to watch that one next. It's um more involved and it teases uh, Doctor Manhattan being a part of this series. Um, oh, good. But well, I, I'll be interested in your take after you watch it because I felt like we don't even need it. We don't even need Doctor Manhattan or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. from what like from watching it, uh, I, I felt like. It's the it's the Watchmen universe, but it can stand on its own kind of thing and not yeah. force us to remember the you know graphic novel. Um, and also, uh, I heard in one of the pan- panels that um, Alan Moore retired from comics on the first day of Comic Con. Oh, interesting! Like officially, yeah, I yeah. know he's been talking about it for a little while. Yeah. So that was that news only that you know, like the first day, or has would they? It was news only in that like a panelist mentioned like, hey, I don't know if you heard, but Alan Moore announced this. Um, that's I, fascinating. Well, and he's been talking about. I mean, he's been doing novels. Yeah. It was not uh, surprising anyway. <laughs> to yeah, me. Yeah, and he's been talking about. He's kind of has. He's not that he's run out of things to say, but he sort of have, has gotten from comics as a medium everything he wants. I think he's also very burned out at everybody misadapting his work, in his opinion. Yeah. So it's just it's and in, in reality too. The League of, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was, I think, the biggest blow to him i don't know if he's never watched the snyder watchman movie wonder what he'd think of it if he ever did um i mean i'm sure i'm sure he's that like many fans like it shouldn't have never been adapted at all it's like fine but for an adapt adaptation it was pretty loyal (laughs) i i i I think you know more more and more it's less movies and more these series that are captivating the the, my imagination i think a lot of of others at sdcc I, it's, it, this is because just think about that. Well, there wasn't a lot of movies that were like, oh my god, it's the trailer for the movie I've been waiting my whole life for. I, there wasn't a lot of that this year. It was it was all yeah. series. It was all serialized, serialized things on on screen. Yeah, I mean, you you and I definitely like have different uh, anti- anticipation levels for that because, as we'll talk about on another upcoming episode, like Stranger Things three was unbelievable. You know, yeah. um, but. Uh, but I, the preview for the Witcher on Netflix, like I felt like, why is this a series? I'm not that I'm familiar with the books or anything. Um, but I don't understand why, especially when it's Netflix, like you could just make it a, a, you know, four long episodes or something. It doesn't need, you don't need to package it as a series. Um, it's, I'll be interested to see how, the cynic in me wants to say how quickly that tanks, but I'll be interested in see what the reception is because I, I wasn't aware of the property um, at all, but like there were, there was a ton of art from it and the, the com, you know, dark horse who put it out, I guess, um, or put out some sort of extension of it or something had, you know, art at their booth. And so I, I thought all that art from the Witcher was really locked down. And then when I saw the trailer, I was like, this does not live up to what I just saw on a busy convention floor. You know, yeah. like how are you going to do this Netflix? So, um, I, you know, I'm still like, uh, hedging my bets when it comes to series. I, I do think the right way to go is to do things like the Hawkeye series where they say it's only going to be six episodes or it's only going to be eight episodes or whatever. 
and just you know or the mandalorian too is like only six episodes i think so just you know which is great because netflix i mean one of the problems with the netflix marvel series where they were always four or five episodes too long yeah so exactly. it's great that disney disney plus it's like hey they don't have to be consistent this yeah. one can be five this one can be 12 it's, well you know, and hopefully they embrace that thing of like you know hawkeye can come back in another series that's yeah. another six episodes or something but it's not an ongoing like season to season thing it's just you know, Hawkeye Ronan or, you know, Hawkeye the New Girl or whatever. Yeah. When it gives them more money per episode, too, which, I mean, in some ways, this could be bad. It could be – that's one of the reasons Game of Thrones' final season was not as good is that fewer episodes, higher production value, but less direction. So it'll be it, – it could be a double-edged sword. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I guess in compa- to wrap up, um, does this con – where does this rank with other SDCCs you've attended? Is it I, better – you know, for the past Same. few years, uh, uh, and I, I've said this in other episodes, I feel like a lot of it has to do with just sort of understanding um, the amount of input I can handle <laughs> over con. Um, and it yep. took me many years to figure that out. But um, for the past several years, I've, I've come away from every con feeling very satisfied. And like, I, I you know, I had little unique experiences. Um, I didn't like set expectations for myself or like design an experience that I would be frustrated if I didn't have. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, I, I just walked away feeling like, great, that was perfect. You know, I can go home and not feel like I missed out on something. And there have definitely been cons where I'm there on Sunday, sort of dragging myself around the floor, feeling like I haven't seen everything yet, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was great that way. Uh, and I, you know, like I said, hopefully after I, um, after my brain digests all the input it received over the last four days, uh, I can come up with some new survival tips and, and we can uh, freshen that up next year. Great. Well, I hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, next year I'll be able to join you and then we can do a live podcast from the floor or somewhere thereabouts and actually and actually I, make it happen for one. I would, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would be all in favor of not doing anything from the floor because <laughs> I want to... Remind punch so many people with their dumb smartphones on a stick shooting their like vlog from the floor Uh, yeah it's like everybody thinks they're in the media now i mean they are i I don't mean to uh you know uh, you criticize that too much but it's just it's just like i i don't know it's gotten to like a maybe it's almost at the rude level (laughs) yeah we're we're I'm sure you just everywhere you turn it's just constantly that. Yeah. Um, I just I would I would be compelled especially if I was in cosplay I would be compelled to photobomb every single one of them. That would be fun. <laughs> I would feel um uh oh a couple notes. Uh that's great. I think we could do something during the con but maybe not on the floor. Um Yeah, no. I but don't. uh I, I thought it you you reminded me. Um cosplay this year. Big hit or sorry, maybe not hit, but very popular. Fat Thor everywhere. Uh. Fat Thors <laughs> everywhere. Friday, there were too many Fat Thors. The best one I saw. <laughs> too many Fat Thors. That's the episode title here. Too many Fat yeah. Thors. Yeah. <laughs> um, best one I saw was, uh, you know, the, uh, many of them were wearing the sweater, you know, um, yeah. or all the of them, all of them were, really. But the best one I saw was wearing um, Jeff Lebowski's sweater. And had made a hammer that was a bowling ball. Oh, um, fantastic. So that sweater was close. Any, I mean, it was close yeah. enough in the movie. That's, yeah. 
So, so just one guy was like Lebowski Thor. Um, everyone else, we were like on Friday going, okay, I, I'm done. I've seen enough of these. It was like the freaking uh, Joker from Dark Knight year, you know, where you're like, I get it. Oh, you sure. all, We all saw the movie. Um, you're not going to do it in a new way. <laughs> um, other surprising. Uh, so we went into Saturday thinking we were going to see even more fat Thors. No. What we saw was we'd seen one of these on Friday. We saw uh, Steve and Robin from Scoops Ahoy. And we were like, holy crap. That's amazing. Like the Stranger Things Scoops Ahoy uniform. Yeah. How did you get yeah. that together in time for this? And then Saturday saw about a dozen of them. So my guess oh, is that someone is selling those costumes. <laughs> because I That's also great. saw I also saw a Camp Nowhere. Um, like head to toe Dustin from Stranger Things, um, a woman doing that. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. And then the next day saw like three or four more and was like, what? I guess I guess these shirts are on sale somewhere. You know, I didn't know. So um, random side story. Uh, in addition to me being absolutely jealous about your SDCC experience, my wife's going to Los Angeles next weekend and she's going to see uh, at the Hollywood Bowl. Apparently, this is a thing where they will do a one like a limited weekend engagement of different musicals yep. and cast uh like cast like like stunt cast it kind of like when ivan uh jason reitman i mean jason reitman used to host a um a live reading of different screenplays in los angeles for about five years i forget what it was called but it was very popular so they would do like the big lebowski where you know um, um michael fassbender was jeff lebowski and like they they do these amazing casts go to wikipedia and look at some of those by the way they're fantastic but uh she is seeing into the woods and dustin from stranger things i forget his real name he is going to play Jack, it's, and uh, it's Gaten is his first never, name. I can't remember his last. Can name. Can never pronounce the last name for whatever reason. But she's so like that'll be fun. She'll get to see that. Um, yeah. I'm just any anytime somebody goes to Southern California, I'm I'm very. That should be awesome. He's Andy. a he's a big musical kid. He was in Les Mis on Broadway. Was he? I didn't yeah. realize this. Yeah. Uh, uh, check him out on YouTube. It's pretty crazy to watch like an eight year old uh, Dustin like. Walking around a huge New York theater, like you know, showing people around. Well, and there's more. I mean, if if you watch Stranger Things, Stranger Things season three, there's another musical moment involving him towards yeah. the end. That was both surprising, off-putting, and and delightful all at yeah, once. Yeah, and, I don't and know perfect. How, yeah, exactly. Know how they can pull it off? Well, let's let's leave it there. More to talk about, I'm sure, as as we get into other episodes, you'll probably have uh, absolutely the echo of this will and, continue for several episodes. Um, uh, where can folks find uh, all our episodes, Todd, if they want to delve into the archive? or, or Hey, find us uh, anywhere podcasts are listened to. Um, we are Panelism, and we are on the web at panelism.inc, and we are on Instagram at panelism.inc. Um, I threw up some pictures from the con uh, Friday morning, and I've got some more to sort of sift through and edit. Uh, that will probably come along this week. So um, check us out there. It's a great place to find us. Fantastic. And subscribe, share, tell your friends, give us feedback. Uh, We actually love feedback. So if there's something you like, something you hate, a book you want us to review, if you're a creator and you want to be on the show, let us know. Um, We'll be doing more interviews pretty soon too. So lots to come. uh, And I guess I'll see you then.